and welcome to Digital Works Oral History Podcasts. This series is called Escaping the Blitz, an oral history of London's evacuees. During the Second World War, millions of children were evacuated from London to escape the dangers of bombing. This project explores the experiences of those evacuees separated from their families to live very different lives in the countryside. London Primary School children interviewed 24 Londoners who were evacuated as children from the capital. Episode 2 explores the experiences of children as they settle into their new lives. There are stories of the great kindness shown by many foster families, but also stories of foster families who were indifferent and even cruel to their young guests. There's the joy of being surrounded by nature, the freedom from war, There's also concern about what is happening to their families back in London and wondering if and when they would ever see them again. We hope you enjoy the podcast. That stupendous undertaking of those grave September days being now an accomplished fact, we find children sampling the adventure of life in new homes which the hospitality of country people has provided for them. Some are entertained in big palatial houses with old family servants as well as great ladies to play with them, to read them stories and attend to the babies. Some are received in more humble but intimate homes where their host may be an ex-soldier or for that matter an ex-sailor of the last war. Which was just a cottage joined to a Another three, we, the one we were in was number one, Era Terrace, and there were just four houses along the road, along the, um, in the block. We stayed in a little row of village houses, cottages. There was no running water, no electricity, and the toilet was just a chemical one not a flushing one, and that was at the end of the row of houses. So there were about four houses, all using the same toilet. Very basic. Uh, um, The the mattress, it was a made-up mattress that had straw in it. It wasn't comfortable to sleep on, I remember that. It took me me ages um, to get to sleep on it. Mind you, after 18 months, um, I probably got used to it, but initially it was a big come down to what I'd been used to. With, well, it wasn't really a family. It was a huge collection of children from all sorts of different countries and, and all over the place, some French children. And we had huge dormitories with about 20 beds in and a very strict matron who used to come along very quietly. And if we were bouncing on our bed, she'd say, sit down and punish us. And we did lots of naughty things there. Lovely. I've got a photo here of where we stayed, a big house. It was called the Kennels. And they used to keep the um, horses and the hound dogs there. So that every weekend the, they would go out fox hunting in their red tunics and you know, quite smart. I had a little Chinese girl stay with me. We were together. But we had to sleep in the same bed. You came off the street into this kitchen scullery place and that was the room 
and then you went through a cupboard up to another room on one floor and then up the top floor and we slept on the top and when we woke up in the morning especially in the winter there was ice on the inside of the windows we got undressed in bed and we got dressed in bed as well how we ever washed i do not know how long will they be away how long before they again return to live under the same roof with their parents for most of them it is the beginning of a long period in new surroundings the routine of their young lives has been shattered by the high politics of nations by events such as those of which they read in their history books but hardly yet connect with themselves it is indeed a strange experience for these thousands of children as well as a great responsibility for those who are charged with their care during these heavy days but the appeal of these homeless youngsters was one which captured the sentiments of the country districts and the country districts cared for them with motherly solicitude they were lovely people they were kind and we had food and we were warm and sheltered but for the first few weeks it was very very hard I remember then feeling, because I had nobody to read stories to me, and I found that very hard. The gentleman, the man that we lived with, did upholstery in the, where we actually lived, in the road where we lived. And I used to say to my uncle Harry, please don't go to work, take me on a picnic. Not picnic, a picnic. So he used to go over and say, I'm sorry, I can't come to work, I've got to take the little girl out. Well, I suppose my father, uh, used to hit me quite a lot. Um, so being away, evacuated, I got away from that. I wasn't being hit by my father. It wasn't a terribly happy family, let's put it that way. I wasn't really that happy at home. So in a way, that was a release, being away, yeah. And I, I remember the garden, I had this wonderful garden, which I absolutely adored. And also, we had a play, a, like a play shed. And there was all these dressing up clothes. So of course, we used to <laughs> have concerts and get all the local kids in. I mean, they were so tolerant of us, you know, what we, you know, things we got up to. We weren't naughty, we just took advantage of what there was there, because it was fantastic. Especially Christmas, I said to him, I said, oh, I'm used to it, I don't have a stocking, I have a pillowcase. And so they said, you can have a pillowcase. But they just spoke me. You know, I just said that I have O'Reilly. It just spoke me. In fact, these people liked me so much, they wanted to adopt me. How can we ever praise enough the wonderful welcome that so many hundreds of thousands of kindly country people have shown to these town children? They couldn't have been sweeter to the children if they'd been their own. Time after time, this has been truly said. Homely folk, most of them, like you and me, they buckled to and overcame difficulties that would have tried anyone's patience. This good soul already had four evacuees in her home when the billeting officer told her that they were having trouble in fixing up another youngster. So she made it five. She's still smiling. She was a lovely woman. She was very, very nice, and I, I liked her. My me, me sister liked her, and she used to take us out to the pictures and you know, see the films. And but after a little while, I, I'm not sure how long it was, there was a knock on the door, and two people were there, and I heard them talking and all that.
sorry. And she came in crying. It's who upsets me now, talk about it really. <clears throat> she was crying and she said, you've got to go. You've got to go somewhere else. You, you can't stay here. And I don't know, I never found out why. So I don't know what it was, but they took us away and took us up to another place in Yorkshire uh, to, a, to quite a big house. I always remember I had these really nice shoes that my mother had bought me before I went away. And um, the next day, this family took me down to a, a clog shop in Batley and my, my lovely um, leather shoes disappeared and I'm now wearing clogs which I didn't I mean, if you've ever seen a pair of Yorkshire clogs they're horrible wooden soles with a big metal like a horseshoe on the bottom. The family that I I went to live with uh, just a, a young couple I don't think they really wanted me there but they thought they were doing the right thing by taking in an evacuee. Um, we weren't treated very nice, really. Um, there was teachers staying at the same address as us, and uh, when they had their breakfast in the morning, if they left crust off there when they had dippy eggs or whatever, if they left their crust, we had to eat the crust up. That's all. thing. We had half a cup of tea between me and my brother, and uh, weren't very nice, really. When the lady who owned the place did her washing, um, she used to call my brother out to do the mangling for her and everything else, and she, she made us sort of work for our keep, really. The first evacuation, we were taken to this huge manor house, which was amazing. We thought, my God, this is lovely. It was um, a huge garden. We, we, the gardener waved at us. But when we got to the front of the house, she turned around and went around the back. And she pointed to her, the basement. She said, your room is down there. Go down there. And so we went down this basement. There was a mattress on the floor. And that was our bed. And that was our, our room. And at uh, 5 o'clock the next morning, she shouted at us, come up. We got up. And she said, come up here. Come up here. And we went up. And she said, um, this, she put in front of us a bowl of bread and milk. That was our breakfast every day. Bowl of bread and milk. And she said, my name's Rosie, she said. I'm the maid here, she said. I didn't want you here, but as you're here, and I've got to look after you, you can help me in the kitchen. And in front of us, she, she moved us along the tables, and there was bowl, masses and masses of silverware. We had to sit there and clean that silverware, silverware for, I think, at least one or two hours before we started school. She said, you'll be going to hurry up or you'll be late for school. It was the first time in my life that I, I was glad to get to school. Every week an hour is set aside for writing letters home and what adventures they have to tell. Dear Mum and Dad, thank you so much for the postal order. This morning I went on a horse to Westwood Farm. The horse's name is Prince. Dear Mum, I'm sorry for not writing for a long time. Well, I have moved to the new place. 
The lady is very nice. I have got an eider down on my bed. There are four other children there. The boy is called John. He is older than me. There are two little girls. We have been playing on the haystack again. The people do not mind. They say, will you send us some Wellingtons, as it will be very wet. We go to school in the morning, and in the afternoon we play games. I like the afternoons best. Give my love to Dad. So as time went on, we learned, because the school would teach us that we had to do this every Sunday, we went to church, but when the farmers were doing the harvesting, the boys who were strong enough had to go and help the farmers. As young as the young girls, we had to go in the woods and pick up acorns and help to pick up all the things the farmer would want to feed his, his flock, to feed his, his cattle, the extra food that they needed. I remember doing all that, but we'd roam and we had all the fields, it was wonderful. For me, absolutely wonderful. They made us very, very welcome. Um, we were introduced to a lady who was teaching us London kids, as you might call it, how to knit and crochet and make things, which I'd never done. So um, we had um, a big goose in her garden as a pet. So for me, yeah, it was, it was a good time. It sounds hard, but it was a good time. Being evacuated gave me a tremendous sense of freedom because during the war you couldn't play outside because there's always a worry, there'd be a siren, a warning, um, and you had to go in the shelter. We never ever heard or saw an aeroplane or anything to do with war. The country was so quiet, it was wonderful. Oh, I thought it was wonderful. I did think, I just thought, I'd never seen anything like it. I never seen anything like it, all that greenery. Although I lived at a place called Camberwell Green, that's where I lived, Camberwell Green, it was just a patch of grass. But there, there was fields, rivers, and then I loved it. I loved the, I loved the countryside. I didn't like the place we were taken to, but I loved the countryside. On to another planet, actually. I'd left London, very busy London. And I used to go to dancing school, and I went to ballet school, and all that sort of thing, and my brothers did as well. We all learned music. And suddenly to come to this little sleepy village with nothing going, nothing. And it was getting dark, it was autumn. And the, there was fields all the way round. I mean, there was no, no life, there was nothing. Well, we came from the East End with lots and lots and lots of shops and lots and lots and lots of people to the countryside where there were cows and horses. I'd never seen a cow in my life. I didn't know anything. Shall I tell you a funny story? Right. I asked my mum, because where we lived, we could see cows from our window. And I said, do the cows, when they go to sleep, do they lay on their backs with their feet in the air? Because I didn't know. I thought that they, you know, you lie on your back, don't you? You lie on your side. So that's how I knew. And it was completely different to me, because it was the countryside and it was lovely. I grew up in the countryside and learned a hell of a lot. I had to clean the pig's ties out every day. Um, clean all the pigs uh, muck and feed feed the pigs. And I had to go work in their fish shop and peel the potatoes all night for the chips, all things like that. It was very pleasant um, in the summer, at least. The the house where we lived had a 
a walled garden at the back. When you went out through the kitchen door, um, it must have been about an acre in size. It was completely walled all the way around, up to the walls of the house. And they grew everything in there, everything they needed. Um, unfortunately, her ladyship lived upstairs and her windows overlooked the garden, so you couldn't pinch anything. This, they had a market square, and once a week was a, was a real live food, um, livestock market. That was our fun, because our school was there, and something always got out. There was always a, a sheep to be traced, or a cow to, for when the cows came in, we all ran, because if we, one of those got out, we got a bit nervous, and they were bigger than us. We used to have to go and get the milk, and uh, on the way up to the farm, they left this big gate, and you could hear the geese going, yeah, and I was just dead scared, and I was just waiting until the geese moved over, and, uh, yeah, then I'd get and get there and get the milk and then I'd have to tread carefully coming back. If they hurt you, they go straight for you. We were fed far better than we could have been in London because being in a village, they were still able to grow a lot of the food. I ate what grew. The plums and the, and the raspberries and the strawberries. Whoever needed somebody to help pick blackberries. So we picked blackberries. They'd call what kids are around today, come on, come and help, and you'd go. Blackberries were popular. If we could find apples or plums, we'd have those. If it was wet, then we'd go for mushrooms. Uh, later in the year, we collected any nuts we could find for food. We'd take them home, home and eat them because there wasn't much food. I do remember when I got to the country and I saw all these apples on the trees growing and I said to my sister, what are they? She said, they're apples. She said, my sister said to me, but you can't eat those because they're poisonous. You can only eat the apples that are in the shops. She didn't, she didn't know, we didn't know that apples grew on trees. <laughs> then my uncle, who I, I called him uncle and auntie, you know, I thought it was the best thing to do. Um, so it was Uncle Paddy and Auntie Paddy, <laughs> I used to call them. And uh, the uncle used to take me rabbiting. And they had some chickens too, the post office. They had a piece of ground at the back and you couldn't see a chicken at all. All you could see was dock leaves, dock leaves. But I took the bowl with all the seeds in and as you shook it like that, a hundred chickens come. She had a hundred chickens flaring at me. I thought, oh dear, but I enjoyed it. And then she said, go and get the eggs while they're out. And then I went and picked the eggs up for tea. The woman had a son about the same age as my brother and um, he got on well with my brother and uh, they went, he took him out rabbit shooting and uh, he showed my brother how to, how to skin these rabbits after they were brought back and everything else. And I can remember it was a bit, bit messy sort of thing. But. What I found was strange when they give us to dinner they come up first with a small plate with a Yorkshire pudding on it. And they topped up the gravy and you had that as a first course. You had the Yorkshire pudding, so that, that filled a gap up in the, in the belly so you didn't eat so much of, of what was to come. We went home and they, they said, are you hungry? I, I said, yeah, I'm, I'm starving. And they put a, a plate in, a white plate in front of me with a white square of something 
on the plate. And I, I said, what is that? And they said, that, that's, that's your tea, you know. So I said, well, I, I, I don't like it. And that it's, it was tripe. I don't know if you've ever heard of tripe. Well, tripe is the intestines of a cow or the stomach lining, but this is boiled and in milk. And I just, I just couldn't eat it. Some of the schools I went to, like in, in Gloucester, it's like a different language, you know, and when you come out for the morning, you didn't say good morning, you say, how be there this morning? <laughs> and that's how they used to talk there, and I, I began to talk like that myself. I think some of the children I was with, um, I used to want to make them like me. I wanted them to like me, although I was London and they were Welsh. And then they used to teach me some Welsh language. I got on with them all right, and I think, um, I did show off a little bit to get the cane, just to prove to all these little children that uh, I'm one of you, I'm with you. School was very primitive. Uh, they, were, they, had, they were nowhere near as forward as London children. And the teacher that uh, taught us, she didn't really, wasn't interested in teaching us at all, because my sister and I were told to sit at the back of the class. And we sat at the back of the class, and all the time we were there, we kept putting our hand up, but she ignored us because her children her children weren't up to the same educational standards as we were from London. And the children themselves kept calling us dirty names and they weren't happy that we were there. Well, we went to school, we just wandered around, met some of the local children who, weren't, who took the mickey out of us, really, because the London kids running away from, you know, the, London. The local village children didn't mix with us. In fact, um, they would do everything they could to cause a fight if they could. Um, and I can remember when it came to uh, uh, free time, wherever, whatever it was, and it certainly wasn't playtime as we know it, um, but somehow I was on the school playing field and the safest place for me to be was right over the back behind the trees. And that's what I used to do. I used to go out and Playtime was right, right in the far corner, so just to avoid fighting. And, and, and this boy came up to me, he was head and shoulders taller than me, and he said, uh, you come from London? So I said, yes, I did. He said, can you fight? I thought, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm six year old, sort of balding on, and he wants to fight me. And I thought, and I, I thought, what do I do? And this kid is towering over me. So being the person that I am, a, quite a physical person, I kicked him as hard as I could with these clogs. And the next thing I know, I'm up in front of the school as a London bully. And it didn't go down very well with me. And my mum used to phone regular, so I was quite happy. I didn't feel as if I was away from my mum because the phone, the telephone. Mummy came down as often as she could, or if there was a lull in the bombing, next thing I know, I was on a train coming up to London. I'm a traveller on my own. I had to be under the, um, 
the guard would look after you and mummy would always be waiting. She didn't really obviously want me to be away. So I did come up to London quite a bit. I used to joke about it uh, with my friends. My mother thought the war ended on a Friday night and started on, on a Monday morning. So she'd have me home for the weekend, every third or fourth weekend. And um, I enjoyed the war. It was uh, an adventure for me. We had no telephones as such. We didn't have a telephone in London. Um, my mother could not read or write because she never went to school. Um, so she used to have to get a friend to write to my father. And in return, she would read my father's letter to her. I didn't see my mum for three years because it was too expensive to come and see me. So I didn't see her for three years. My, my main worry was what's happening at home. What's happening to my mum? And of course, with the first evacuation, when we didn't hear anything, that was the main worry. Has she deserted us? Are we going to stay here forever? Is nobody come and collect us? Good night, children. podcast was produced by arts and education charity Digital Works. Interviews were conducted by children from Firstdown Primary School and St Thomas's Church of England Primary School. With thanks to all of our interviewees, you can find out more about them, hear their full interviews and also watch the wonderful documentary film made as part of this project at www.londonevacuees.org.uk. Thanks to the Imperial War Museum, to Wandsworth Local Study Centre and to Kensington Local Study Centre. Thanks also to the British Film Institute and the British Council for the Archive Audio. Music was performed by Vera Lynn. The project was funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and by the Royal Borough of Kensington and Chelsea's City Living Local Life Fund. Please join us for the next episode when you will hear how many evacuees returned to London and their experiences of the war-torn city during the Blitz, with many of their families torn apart by war. To find out more about our oral history projects, films and podcasts, visit www.digital-works.co.uk.